to the Listen First podcast, brought to you by the Chapman Foundation for Caring Communities. Our vision and mission is to strengthen relationships and build stronger communities through listening, leadership, care, and service to create a truly human connection. Learn and partner with us as we imagine a society in which people care about each other and listen first. Welcome to the Listen First podcast. My name is Adam Salgan. Joining me today is Mike Disparis and one of our newest team members, Mickey Gibbs. The three of us discuss logic and emotion in the classroom. We talk about what it's like for students and what it's like for teachers. Listen close to find the little tidbits that'll help you work with your student or your own child. Welcome back to the podcast. We have two guests with us today, one of which is often here, Mike Disparis. How are you doing today, Mike? I am doing wonderful, Adam. Really excited for today's topic. Can't wait to jump into it. But you know what I'm even more excited for? What's that? We're excited to introduce our newest employee and teammate, Mickey Gibbs. Mickey comes from the great state of Michigan. She will be our strategic engagement leader there. But what's awesome about Mickey as well, she's a fellow educator. Her focus has been on early education, which is near and dear to my heart because my wife is also an early childhood educator. So I get to hear a lot about that. And I always say our early childhood educators are the most important. And I know that's a tough thing to hear, but there's a foundational piece, right? (laughs) That's the stage for everything else to happen. And Mickey is also just exceptional um, in working with our parent groups as well. So not only is Mickey the newest, one of our newest employees, at CFCC, but she has also been a facilitator with us for the past five years as well. So she's had a lot of opportunity to work inside our organization as well. And she's done a number of parent podcasts and snippets that I know other people have seen. But this right here today, Adam, is her very first podcast. So welcome, Mickey. We're glad to have you today. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here. Mickey, is there anything else you'd like to let us know about your experience and your career? You know, set the table a little bit on who you are and everything you've done. Sure. I've been working in education for over 20 years. I've served as a classroom teacher. Um, I've served um, in organizational leadership. And most recently, I've served the entire system at the county level. So I've had a lot of different experiences with children and parents and organizational leads that really help us get to a point where we can help change the system for better for educators and for parents. Mickey, I saw you speak at a, uh, it's called Wake Up Midland. It's a local uh, Midland Business Alliance uh, here in Michigan that I saw you speak at probably, it was before I knew you, before I knew you through uh, the Chapman Foundation. And I was impressed on your knowledge and your ability to share it and your ability to connect with people. So the fact that you somehow made your way here with the Chapman Foundation for Caring Communities and that we get to work together now just makes me so happy because I knew then that it was, you were someone that I could tell I would love to connect with and love to work with. So welcome to the team. Thank you. I remember that day really well. (laughs) Well, I hope for good reasons, not because something bad happened. (laughs) For all good reasons. (laughs) Good good to know. Mike, you had a topic idea here about logic and emotion in the classroom. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. As you heard in our little intro, I'm going to let you take over a little bit and set us up. Absolutely. Thanks, Adam. So 
been having lots of phone calls and discussions with a lot of different educators from different backgrounds, not just from here in Texas where I'm from, but from around the United States. And not surprisingly, a lot of us educators are dealing with kids who are coming to school and they're really stressed out and their emotions are really high for different reasons. Um, and then there's another side of that as well, too, is us as educators inside the classroom, not just from all the stuff that's happening, but working with our kiddos that are high on our emotions. Sometimes our emotions get extremely high as well. And what Mickey and I want to do is just kind of have a conversation around our idea, Chapman Foundation for Caring Communities, around logic and emotion. Some of the things that are going on inside, I guess, our brain, okay, and what's actually happening when we start to get so emotional that we can't process or think through things logically to make really good decisions. So if you think about as a teacher in a classroom, when that's going on with the kid, of course, that could mean certain behaviors that are non-productive for them or the classroom or the teacher can occur, right? And then also for us as adults, the people in charge, whether we're a teacher or a paraprofessional, if we're overwhelmed with emotion, trying to think through something logically to work with our kiddos can be difficult. And here's the bottom line to that. If we can't figure out ways to kind of make this work and support our kiddos and support ourselves, it's gonna make learning really difficult inside the classroom as well. So Mickey, before we kind of jump in with initial thoughts and ideas and kind of walking through this process, do you have anything else you'd like to share on logic and emotion and your experiences working in the early childhood realm? Yeah, I think one thing that's really important to remember when we're talking about, you know, really little kids, like kids that are maybe say two all the way up through early elementary years, is that sometimes what happens when, um, when you know, when we talk about an imbalance of logic and emotion, and Mike's going to get into that in detail, sometimes what we see is a behavior we don't want to see. But sometimes what we see is a lack of a behavior we're looking for in the moment. And so it's just important to think about, you know, we're in a classroom or we're in our home with a young child and our expectations in the moment is that we're seeing something particular from our children. We could be dealing with a behavior that we would maybe label as negative, or we could be dealing with something where it's, I want this to be happening right now with my child, but it's not happening. I think if we keep that in mind, as we think about a classroom space or even a home space, that'll really help us think through this. That's, that's a great point, Mickey. And also thinking about how important it is to understand the age of different kiddos as we kind of talk about this process as well, because developmentally it looks a little bit different as, as well as kind of what's going on and what's happening. And not surprising, right? Because little kids don't have as much experience in life to be able to think through things logically. And sometimes their emotion can kind of take things over really quickly. So we'll walk through that process a little bit and kind of think through that, use some different scenarios and maybe some different stories. And of course, Adam will kind of always have his, his great questions to ask us um, and have some really great thoughts why we kind of work with this as well, too. Yeah, another thing we might want to keep in mind is that social emotional intelligence is learned over a lifetime, just the way that we would think about academic intelligence. So it's pretty easy for us as parents or educators to think about the fact that reading is a skill that is built over the years. We would never hand a Harry Potter book or an adult novel to a five-year-old and expect them to read it. Right. But sometimes it's a little bit hard for us as adults to realize that the growth of social emotional skills, like managing our emotions or empathy or conflict resolution or balancing our logic is equally learned skills. 
and it doesn't just come by age five and we figure it out. It has to be modeled for us. It has to be talked about and we have to learn how to do it. Mickey, the key to what you just said is modeling, right? And so us as educators, as teachers, we hold a big part of the learning process to the kids with how we, how we role model even our own emotions, right? And how we kind of do that. The other two things that you really brought up that are important is we think about social emotional learning and all those pieces that take place. Two keys, the self-awareness and the self-management pieces that you talked about today will really lend a big part of that because we have to be, be aware of when our emotion is kind of getting too much and we're losing sight of our logic as well as when that's happening with kids. If we can make our own selves aware of that and we can help the kiddos be aware of that, which is a really tough process, that's the first step to then being able to manage that as well. And the, that self-awareness to self-management piece is really important for our kids to be able to adapt well inside the world as well. And Mickey's absolutely right. It takes a long time for us to develop these skills and continue to build on them as well. And I will tell you, you know, I'm not a young man. I still have to work on these skills quite a bit because sometimes my emotion can kind of um, get, get pretty high. And, and honestly, I, I can't think logically through certain situations. Maybe sometimes I have some unproductive or negative behaviors as a result as well. So what I'm going to do first, I'm just going to kind of talk about the process. And Mickey, please feel free to kind of jump in with any thoughts and ideas that you have over logic and emotion uh, as we kind of go through this. And then we'll kind of talk about the student role and the teacher role as well. So if we think about what we really want in life is a, a, a healthy balance of logic, how we're thinking through logically and our emotion, okay? So everything that happens logically inside our brain comes out of our executive functioning part of our brain or the front part of our brain. That means I can really learn well, I can process information, I can understand things that are coming into me, and I can organize my thoughts in a certain way. Of course, that all has to do with what I can do developmentally at that point in time um, in my life stages as well. So if I'm an early childhood kid or a little bit older, where that looks at. Emotion is a really interesting thing because we don't really have a lot of control over the specific feelings that, that hit us in our life, right? And so we can, we can have the feeling of angry or sad or grief or all these different things kind of happening to us. And we may not be able to control that those feelings are occurring, but there's things that we can do so those emotions don't override us and we can't think through things logically. So another point I wanna kind of bring out is when emotions are super high, so all we're doing is riding on one of those emotions. And if I'm really angry, I'm really upset, because Adam and I are in the same kindergarten class. Adam is stealing all my crayons, right? Like my box of 64 Corollas. Or what did they call that? The, the Crayolas. Cray yeah, Crayolas, thank you. Not the, Adam Corollas. Or Crayolas. <laughs> and Adam is stealing all my crayons and breaking them in half. As a little kid, right? I might be getting more upset and more upset and more upset and not thinking through things logically as how to problem solve this. But you could just see my behavior kind of um, just explode into something really, really negative or unproductive as a result. So Mickey, like as, as a teacher, early childhood teacher, like you're a kindergarten teacher, pre-K teacher, you see this kind of unfolding and you see me getting upset. You know my emotions high. You can tell I'm losing my logic. What are some things you could think of that would help support me and maybe even Adam in the situation 
to kind of alleviate a bigger issue than what could potentially take place inside the classroom. Sure. So, uh, you know, a, a really good early childhood educator is going to notice that they need to go over that situation and they need to help both children, particularly if there's not another adult readily available where each of you could take one of those kids. But what's what's really crucial in the moment is that you go over and you recognize the student. So Mike, as a little, let's say he's four and he's throwing crayons, it's visible to you that that child is experiencing a high level of emotion. So going over and in front of Adam saying, Mike, I can see you're really upset or you're really frustrated with the situation because Adam is taking your crayons. You know, maybe you kind of noticed this from across the room. So you know what's transpiring. You know what's going on. The, the key thing to note in the moment is that Mike, as that little four-year-old interacting with Adam, is experiencing a high level of emotion. And emotion in the brain is the bully all the time. It's always going to win. Logic is going to back down to that high level of emotion. So even though you'd like to think that Mike could speak to Adam and say, stop throwing my crayon or stop stealing my crayons or stop doing, you know, whatever's going on, he can't because he's super frustrated. So you want that to be a teachable moment for what Mike could say to Adam to solve that problem in a logical way, but he can't think through it. So anything you say to him in that high emotional moment is kind of going to be a waste of your words. It's important to turn to Mike or even take him aside and say, I can see you're very frustrated. I can see, you know, put a word to the emotion because the very first thing to help children grow socially and emotionally is putting a word to that emotion. It does two things. It says that that emotion is okay. What he's feeling in the moment, you know, as Mike touched on earlier, we're going to feel what we're going to feel. Right. And that's true of little kids too. The second thing it does is it grows Mike, Mike's emotional vocabulary. And we can't talk about things that we don't have the vocabulary for. So recognizing for him, this is what you're feeling and this is what's going on. The facts of the situation. So what's causing it? Adam is taking your crayons. You are feeling very frustrated. And then we're going to give Mike a little bit of time to go. Yeah, Mike's taking my crayons and he's probably going to kind of, you know, really like spout out stuff and kind of, you know, kind of talk about that moment. But that's the only way for Mike to vent out all of that emotion that's bullying his brain. And until you get that emotion out, you can't talk about the behavior that he might want to choose instead. Because the behavior instead might be to say to Adam, Adam, please don't take my crayons. Right. You can't uh, talk about that behavior until we get the emotion out. Uh, adult Adam's going to jump in and say that, uh, this is such good. I'm like making bullet point notes because my five-year-old and my almost three-year-old do this kind of thing a lot. Right. And there are times where I think as a parent, I do exactly what you just said. I try to identify and help them learn and, and do that. And then there are other times where I'm like, you just jump in and you start, you don't even care. And you, you, you start telling them what to do and you, you're not listening and, um, you know, give them back or whatever. Right. So it's really good to, it's a really good reminder to, to tell, you know, to mention to us about, you know, use it. We want it to be a teachable moment, but it can't really be a teachable moment until the, some of that emotion gets released and try to talk to them. And then the idea of helping them put a word on it and uh, you know, to grow their vocabulary so they can describe things makes me realize I might need to expand a little bit of my vocabulary and build my skill set in that space in order to help them build their skill set. So it's another 
reminder as a as a parent as an adult to potentially improve ourselves to to help our little ones yeah and one thing you want to remember is just that emotional vocabulary with a little child you're going to keep those feelings kind of basic i'm sad i'm frustrated i'm you know as they get a little older expand and make those words more specific so that they can communicate better but you know i I often say like in our parenting webinars or our roundtables what if you were a grown-up and you walked in a restaurant you didn't have utensils and you have soup in front of you and you needed to ask the server for a spoon but you didn't know the word spoon Think about what that would do for you. So a ch- if we expect our children to express their emotions, they have to have the vocabulary to be able to do that. And I think that's one of the biggest keys too, uh, Mickey, as you kind of walk through that process and it was, it was just beautifully done. And I'm so excited that you're on our team to really think about what's going on inside the kiddo, right? What the kiddo needs to be able to do, but also as the adult or as the teacher, you're role modeling the proper ways for that self-awareness to self-management. Because it's not like an automatic change, like just flipping the switch, but it is something that they start to identify with emotions over time. And that's a really critical part because if we don't allow the kid, what one is time, right? And the other is just that, that ability to kind of be able to vent out what's going on inside them. They can't come back to like a homeostasis level where logic and emotion are balanced again. And if we don't work on that, what's going to happen is that kid's going to stay really emotional. We can make the situation worse with even more unproductive behaviors with how we act or react to the situation as the adult. Would you like to speak to that for a moment? Yeah, I think, you know, when you're when you're over there and let's just go back to that situation with the crayon and you're over there and you're talking to little four year old Mike and he's so upset. If you look, I've been there as a teacher and as a parent where I I turn my head, there's a kid throwing crayons or my daughter, my kids, when they were little, my daughter's hitting my son. And what happens to me right away? I'm upset. I go over to my kids. I'm, my voice now is raised. You know, you go over to the crayon situation. You were doing something as a teacher. You were busy. Now you have to deal with the crayon situation. So you go over, make sure when you go over to deal with that, you take a deep breath or do what you need to do before you go handle that situation. That sounds easier than it is, but figure out over time as the educator, how you can do that. And when you go over there and, you know, particularly with young children, your, your nonverbals and your, your sort of like your physical presence is very important. Getting on their level. If you have to kneel down or sit down, get eye level with them so that they can see you taking a deep breath your emotions are not raised because what you don't want is if your emotions are high now, little Mike, who's already upset is going to get, believe me, he's going to get more emotional. And Adam is probably also in the situation going to get more emotional. And now you're just sort of throwing fuel on a fire, but modeling how you could take a deep breath. You can calm down. It, some children really like touch, you know, you, you got to get to know the kiddo. Do they like you to just kind of put your hand on their shoulder? Do they like you to sit down with them? Whatever seems to work for that child and what you learn over time. And then as, as you're working through that feeling and what happened and little Mike is just, you know, oh, he took my crayons and he's kind of, you know, freaking out, kind of say, okay, let's take a deep breath. And you'll start to see their emotion come down. And when you see it come down, it's very visible. That's when you can then say, okay, if Adam takes your crayons, next time, let's try this. 
or you can come get me for help. You know, whatever is age appropriate for the child. Adam mentioned when, when the three of us happened to be talking earlier offline about expectations for behavior. Sometimes we'll have parents or educators participate in our roundtables. And when they're hearing us talk about this part of the process, they're looking at it like it's a pass on the behavior or, okay, well, it's, it's like an excuse. It's not a pass on expectations for children, but you can't talk about the expectations and the alternative behavior and what they should be doing until you get them in a space where they can hear you. Emotion plugs up their little ears and they just can't think through it with you like that. So if you wanna make the most amount of progress with a child, talk to them when they're in a logical state, not in an emotional state. Absolutely, and another part, I mean, I'm gonna add a layer onto that. And this is really regardless of age and you know, being a junior high, high school teacher, be really careful when emotions high with a student or a group of students or whatever to lead with a consequence before logic kind of comes back down. And the reason it, and I'm not saying don't do a consequence, but what I'm trying to say is if Adam is super upset, right? And he is really mad because something happened and he threw a book at the wall or whatever. If I just say, Hey, Adam, you're going to be suspended for four days when he is really upset, it's just going to make the situation oftentimes worse. Right. So if we allow that opportunity for the logic and the motion to balance, then we can have the, the conversation and work on the self-management and the self-awareness and then talk consequences as a result. And it's really easy sometimes for us as adults to think, well, I threaten the consequence that's going to make the person stop. If we're so overbalanced with that emotion, oftentimes it won't. Oftentimes it won't. Now, for some kiddos, if it's climbing, it might, Right. But if you go through the same process of letting them bend it out and then getting everybody to that logic and emotion level, the situation is going to be a lot better for us as adults as well, too, because we're riding that emotion wave. We have to make sure we're carrying our logic as well in that area. It's fascinating, really, to think about, right? And we've all done it. Well, like, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. Next thing you know, everyone's stealing my crayons and breaking them, and it's chaos. <laughs> I love this example because it definitely ties to a lot of pieces that I deal with on a daily basis, having young ones. What about our teenagers, uh, parents with teenagers or teachers that are working with middle school to high school kids? Logic and emotion probably looks a little bit different for them, does it not? Yes and no. Okay. Uh, interestingly enough, it's kind of different because sometimes with, with older kids, they're not as quick to maybe tell you or to show you that they're emotionally becoming unstable for whatever reason, right? So they might be bottle capping it in or masking it or hiding it. And then it just kind of blows pretty quick. And there's lots of different reasons why that could be, but it's still that same idea as, as Mickey said, it's like really important to get to know your students and your kiddos and kind of see where that's at. Cause you have, you know, introverts and extroverts and everything in between. Oftentimes your kids who are extroverts, you can tell when their emotion is starting to ride, whether they're super excited about something or they're super upset over something, right? Some of your, uh, your introverted kids, it's just tougher because they're very quiet and almost seems calm, but that emotion is, is happening as well too. And I'm not saying that that can't happen in little kids because it can, but you just have to understand at any point in time, if you don't know your kiddo certain really well, there's lots of different things that you can kind of be working with and dealing with at one time. 
So, Mickey, any thought? I mean, you have teenage kids as well, or ones that were teenagers. Yeah, we, we just survived the teenage years. Thank <laughs> <laughs> goodness, apparently, I'm still here to talk about it. Um, I th- yeah, and you can have kids, like, in a, this wouldn't be uncommon in a middle school classroom, but you've got kids that are coming in, and their day, they're already starting their day. I mean, this can happen with little kids, too, but let's say, you know, you got a middle, middle schooler, and they're already starting their day with a high level of emotion. Something happened at home. Yeah. You know, just because they're 13, they've got a lot going on and, and they might be coming into a classroom and what you might see in terms of a, what we would call a behaviorist, they're not engaged in the learning at all. And it's really easy as a teacher to think to yourself, well, they just don't care about their schoolwork. Yeah. It probably comes from another place that's rooted in an emotion. And if you can get to know that child and, and really gain their trust where they're willing to talk to you about what's going on. It might not look like it, you know, it's easy to see somebody throwing crayons. It's not always super visible to us when a kid sits in the back of the room and they're not engaged in a lesson. Get to know them so they're willing to get some of that out and let it out to you so that then they can come to that space of learning in a better place. We're so concerned in the school day about kids doing the math lesson, doing the history lesson, picking up all the content. You could have a middle schooler that spends their entire day in a, in a sort of private emotional state. I guarantee you, they're not going to pick up on very much content that day. So it seems like it takes the kids that get through the day without us even knowing it, right? Like we're like, right. oh, being quiet, he's fine. Right. But he's fine. Being able to find that engagement level, because if we're overridden with, with emotion, that logic's not going to be there. Learning's out the door, Right. Right. So going to that student and saying something like, you know, I, I can tell you, you know, you maybe have something going on or something's kind of occupying your mind and starting that conversation where they might open up to you. It's hard for a teenager. I mean, those are tough years, but giving them that chance to get it out or finding the other adult in the school that they are close to and are maybe willing to vent it to be willing to note that at older ages for a little while, it might not be you. But who are they close enough to that they could do that so they can make the most of their learning day? Yeah, guys, that's uh, it's such. It reminds me of you know days that I had in high school when I knew I wasn't going to retain much because of what was going on with friends. Um, and it's not a highly emotional thing for me right now, but I know like it was a big difference when I finally like released a little bit of like what was going on with friends, and I did you know I acted out, but for me because of the, maybe the upbringing, upbringing I had, my acting out was more of a silly or more of a, an outstanding way instead of a real negative, what you would consider maybe negative. But once I got to that point, I mean, I started to flourish more because like once I got, once I released what was happening, my brain was able to, you know, comprehend as adults, as teachers walking into the room, you talked about this with kids, you know, the opportunity that they might be walking in with something on their mind. What about from the teacher perspective who, obviously might have something on their mind that has nothing to do with their work. It might be home related as well, but even work related and everything that we've been through in the last year, two years with regulations and changes and the uncertainty of like, are we going to virtual tomorrow? Um, How quickly things kind of changed. What about thinking about it from their perspective? Well, I'll I'll talk to Mickey. You can kind of think through this process as well too and share. As teachers, paras, anybody who's working inside the education system, even parents, the first most important thing to recognize is we're always in that role model um, situation, right? 
but also understand like there's kind of this term you need to be a role model 100% of the time 100% of the time you need to be the role model right easy to say really easy to say but at the end of the day we're human too yeah we bring life to the classroom just like our kiddos do right and so our logic and our emotion can get out of balance pretty quick but we always have to think about two things one knowing that this is a really important thing for us to role model what are the things we can start to do when our emotion starts to creep up, whether it's a kid kind of pushing our buttons or it's a behavior that's happening, or maybe it's an outside, you know, stress that we're dealing with. How do we bring our, our logic back to an evil level with our emotions? That's really important. And then there's another side of it too. We actually have training on this inside um, the Chapman Foundation. What do we do when like maybe our emotion gets so high, we lose our logic? And a non-productive behavior occurs for us as an adult in front of the kid, right? So there's an interesting scenario to think about. It is what do you do when you mess up? Like you got to go back and fix it because that is a part of self-management in the social emotional world that we want kids to be able to do. Because if, if I blow up at a student, I start yelling at them and pointing my finger and doing those negative behaviors and nothing, I don't change it or fix it or go back and work on it with the kid. The kid is learning that that behavior is actually okay. Because I, as the adult, am the one doing it. So that's like a big thing that you have to really work on as the adult to think about. But also, just like Nikki said, if we're working on the kid to just label that feeling first and then tie it to the behaviors that are occurring, when they are at that homeostasis level, there's so much more work that we can kind of do. So, Mickey, your thoughts with, with the adult side of it as well, because we are human, we have to balance it too, right? Yeah, I mean, you're talking about educators that, you know, they're, they're putting in so much work, particularly right now, they're putting in extra work yeah. and it's a difficult job as it is. I would say, make sure as an educator that you have a way when you're talking about, you know, it's the morning or maybe it's lunchtime and you're just full of a lot of emotion because you've, you know, you've got a lot going on. You've got some challenging kids in your classroom. Make sure you know what way you're going to vent that out. If it's writing it down, if it, you've got a coworker that's your best friend, um, Mike calls them swim buddies in, in our organization. Find your person that doesn't mind you taking a few minutes just to say, here's what I'm worried about today. Here's what's bothering me when I start my day. Maybe it's a significant other at home. It really doesn't matter as long as you have your way. You know, it could be deep breaths. It could be a walk. It could be whatever. Make sure you have that. You know, many organizations over the past year have developed some pretty cool ways for staff to come together very briefly in the morning just for like an emotion dump or here's what I'm worried about. You might be that person in your organization to start something like that. And I would encourage you to do that if you don't already have it. And then make sure that I, I think it's great what Mike's covering that if you make the mistake and when you go back, if the child is old enough, you know, this wouldn't be appropriate for maybe, you know, a three-year-old, but let's say they're six or they're 10. If you've messed up when you go back, say, you know, I was really emotional. I was really frustrated. Here's what I should have done. Let's try to start over again. Because then what you're saying to them is my emotions get out of balance too. And it's all right because it happens to all of us and it always will. Such good advice. Really cool um, about that too is like when the adult is able to do that, that relationship gets so much tighter with that kid and they work even harder because you feel a connection when someone's able to say, hey, like, guess what? <laughs> that wasn't all that awesome. And it's not just the I'm sorry. It's here's what I should have done. Because sometimes we see this with, with adults too. And you see it like maybe in Little League or you see it um, 
uh, in Sunday school or in a classroom or just parents kind of doing it, like two kids kind of needling each other and arguing, and, you know, kind of that fighting stuff. And finally, the adult steps in and kind of like separates them and says, all right, you two shake hands and say you're sorry. <laughs> kids grab each other's hands and like, sorry. Well, they're still at that high emotional state, right? But nothing was really solved other than a consequence of saying, having to say you're sorry, as opposed to the learning process, what Mickey just kind of walk through in the more important part of that is. So, and you see sometimes adults just say they're sorry when they're not truly sorry, right? Because they've just learned over time, it's just what you say and like, you're not really responsible for the behavior that you have at that moment in time. So there's a lot of things you can do just with logic and emotion to think about the power of just teaching this and working through this with yourself and your kiddos. An example that I want to throw out there real quick is I was talking to a friend a few weeks ago about his work situation. And he was explaining to me how, you know, by middle of the afternoon, he's normally, or not even middle of the afternoon, like before noon, he's normally pretty stressed and burnt out. And some of it has to do with work. Some of it has to do with, you know, at home. And I just talked to him a little bit about, and truly, I think indirectly, I'm talking about logic and emotion, but I was telling him if each day you're coming in on a scale of one to 10 and you're coming in at a seven already, every day at a seven gives you very little room to handle what's in front of you um, and to deal with whatever might be on your plate. So whatever you need to do to come in, even at a six or hopefully closer to zero, a one or a two, whatever you need to do to try to get there. That's that what I, you know, I told him, I said, so if you need to call me to talk about it, or if you need to, if it really boils down to a new job, then that may be where you have to go down the road. But for now, just think about it from day to day and how do you come in at a lower number? And when we started thinking or talking about logic and emotion, that story popped in my head because I think that's really what I was talking to him about was coming in with his emotions, not in check as if he cannot do that. Because I feel like when we tell people to get things in check, it's like they're failing. That's not really what we're trying to say. It's just the stereotypical or... Um, atypical phrase that we put out there. But um, I think that's really what I was trying to say to him uh, was try to find a way to balance these things out. So you come in with more space, right? Yeah, for sure. And, and it's, it's also really important to remember that we're, you know, we're not trying to get rid of all of our emotion. I mean, emotion is a part of every decision we make every day. It's what makes us human. It's, it, you know, we, we don't want it to be gone. Right. We just want to make sure that there's a significant amount of logic there so we can make the right choices every day. And it's also important to remember that both emotions that we, we don't like feeling and emotions that we do like feeling can drown out logic. You know, we can be super happy. We can be <laughs> so excited that we can't think. So, you know, there's still an importance to getting that balance there so we can make the right choices in the moment. But it sounds it sounds like your friend needs to figure out how he's, how he's going to level set every day and how he's going to find that, um, that place to vent and, and get those emotions out. Yep. And it made me, I made a note while we were sitting here to check in because it's been a couple of weeks and I know he's all right, but it just, it makes sense to go back, see how he's doing, make sure. Right. I mean, that's what we, what we want to do for people be there. Right. Well, the listening can always help someone vent and take out that plug and bring that logic back down yep. so, yeah it's kind of like even in class when we teach like if we're asking questions or we're giving advice sometimes we keep that nugget and that emotion gets even higher and a lot you know so 
that's always one of those wonderful pieces, just like you said, Adam, checking in and just listening would be great for you. Mike, I saw you were nodding your head a little bit when Mickey mentioned that sometimes it's positive emotions too, what we would label as positive emotions that can come into play when we get out of balance. Can you touch on that a little more? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, teaching middle school, um, I saw this quite a bit with my kiddos and I'm sure Mickey probably has more than a million different stories with little kids as well when they come to school or class and they're really excited about something that is going on in their life or something that's about to occur. Um, for me, it was always at the beginning of the year and with my, especially the boys who were playing football and they had a football game that day and they were so excited to be able to play school football for the first time, right? Like have cheerleaders out there and the fans and the parents and all that that they could not focus on anything else and they would be so emotionally excited. They kind of lose the logic. Sometimes they would cause problems in class because they'd be talking about it or not focusing on their work or whatever. And so that even though it was a positive emotion, it was still overwhelming everything that they could do to think through things logically as well. So Mickey, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, this happens like at any age, right? It even happens <laughs> as adults when we get, Christmas, we get super excited about something. We get, you know, I remember the day I found out that I was getting this job and I was trying to explain this to my family and I'm cooking and the pot is like over boiling on the stove because I couldn't think through the fact that I was cooking dinner while I was having this conversation. So it happens to all of us, you know, it's not a bad thing, but you know, again, giving that person the opportunity to talk about it and get it out really helps and say, Oh yeah. And I was doing this, or I'm supposed to be acting like this. Yeah. And you know, it's really important to recognize with kids because sometimes they get in trouble and they, they have a really positive feeling or something really exciting is going to happen. And it's the same opportunity that Mickey said, like labeling the emotion, letting them kind of vent, letting them bring it down saying, okay, here's how I need you to kind of focus through this because they still have to work through that process. And we don't want them to feel like, oh, I shouldn't be having this feeling. Just as Mickey said, with the other feelings that could be more um, thought of as negative as well too, because feelings are an important part of life, right? If something happens and we're sad, we need to be able to express that and kind of work through that something happens and we're super excited about it or whatever, we still need to go through those same processes. We don't want to eliminate the feelings. We want to work on the process so we can think through things logically. So as we wrap up the podcast here today, I'm going to throw it out there. I'd like to get a key takeaway from each of you, just something for our listeners to think about as we finish the podcast. Um, show of hands, who wants to go first? <laughs> No, nobody, nobody raised their hand. Oh, Mike, Mike, there's Mike. All right. So um, Mike raised his hand first. So let's, let's see what's a key takeaway you have for our audience, Mike. I think one of the key takeaways for me is just um, as a parent, I got two teenage daughters, one who's a freshman in college, one who's a sophomore in high school. And right at this moment in time, we have some birthday celebrations. One of them's turning 16, getting the driver's license. The other one just went to college and is doing really well. And so there is a lot of like a lot of excitement in the world, but just kind of thinking about logic and emotion, where they're at, where I'm at, and just kind of helping through those processes as well. So it was kind of a good process for me to go through, even though I know this how to teach it, I put it in front of me, right? Reminders don't hurt. That's for sure. So, <laughs> that is true. Mickey, any thoughts on a key takeaway for our audience, something for them to ponder? Yeah, you know, if you're an educator and you're listening to this and it, and it sort of feels like, well, this is going to take more time out of my day. The way I would look at this is, is kind of invested time. 
because if you take the couple minutes to do this with a child or a teen, what you're going to get is more return than when you try to have the logical conversation. So just kind of think of it as like, you're going to get more out of that time with them than you would if you just jump right into the logic. So invest that little bit of time into your students and into your colleagues, other people in your life. And I'll tell you, when you get really good at it, this is a really good common conversation then to use with the parents of those kids in your classroom. It's a super easy thing to pass on and to teach to parents. So as you're, you know, you're in parent teacher conferences or you're touching base about kiddos, you can say, this is how I'm handling this in our class with your child. How could I help you do this? Thank you both for, for taking the time to talk to us about logic and emotion in the classroom, at home, wherever, or in just our own personal daily lives and how we can manage ourselves better. Thank you both so much. Thank you, Ab. We appreciate it. And Mickey, I'm so excited you're on our team and that you were able to add so much value to today's podcast. And really excited about doing future education podcasts with you. Don't you think, Adam? Like, Mickey's a great guest to just continue to keep bringing on board with us. Not going to hear me argue. I don't know. <laughs> she might She might say something, but I'm not going to hear me argue against it. No, thank you. This was fun, guys. I look forward to more. <laughs>